How was everybody? All right, good, 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 good. Um, hey, I don't do this very often because uh, um, she doesn't like it when I do these kind of things, but I, I often don't talk about my wife a lot, but I think she's in the room today, at least I hope she is. And uh, uh, today is our, we dated for seven years because I'm an idiot, and um, I probably should have proposed earlier, but uh, my wife and I started dating our junior years of high school dated five years. We broke up, which is actually one of the things that, that got me to become a Christian. Um, got back together, dated for two more years, got married, and we've been married today for 12 years. Uh, so, and uh, <laughs> I told the story at the nine. The first time I told her I loved her and knew, I knew I wanted to marry her three months into dating her. We were juniors in high school and we were hanging out one night. I, we had, I don't know, gone on a date or a show or something and I was sitting there and I was looking at her and I just looked at her three months into dating. You know, I'm 17 and she's 16. And um, I said, I love you. I want to be with you forever. And she just goes, thank you. <laughs> My heart just went, I just, yeah. I mean, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't pity me. I won that battle. Uh, we have two kids and been married for a long time. So uh, no, it's good. Um, but uh, if you've never met my wife, I know everyone says they have a great spouse. Well, I hope everyone says they have a great spouse, right? Uh, she's exceptional. If you've never met my wife, she's one of the most exceptional, not just women, one of the most exceptional people you'll ever meet in your entire life. She is honest and beautiful and just a phenomenal person. And uh, I'm very, very blessed. If, if you knew the whole story, and a little bit of it's in the book that, that Josh and I wrote, but uh, if it wasn't for my wife, this church wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist. So oftentimes I get all this praise and all this accolades for, oh, thanks for the church and starting the church and doing what you do. And they don't know the backstory. My wife worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week pregnant um, with our first child so we could have the opportunity to start this church and do this and extremely patient and gave, has given up much comfort in life uh, for this church. So if you know who she is and if you have the opportunity to see her. She is, she is not, uh, uh, she's not like a person that loves praise and stuff. So, um, but I think it's funny when people come up and compliment her because um, she like, it makes her uncomfortable. So, um, but you should go do that today. It'll be fun. And, um, <laughs> and so um, anyways, okay. If you've never been to the church before, we are in the gospel of John. We're at the very beginning of it. This is the fourth book of the New Testament. If you have a Bible, with you. We're on the third chapter. We already did half of chapter three. We're going to do the other half of chapter three. And the reason why I stopped where I did last week is in the middle of John chapter three comes some of the most pivotal words, I would say the most pivotal words ever given to mankind. Okay. John 3, 16, 3, 17 through eight, uh, and 3, 18. Very, very important words. Now where we're going to start, or I guess where we're going to pick up today, where we left off last week, is there's this conversation going on from a man named Nicodemus, a very intelligent, educated religious leader in the community, very influential man, probably roughly twice Jesus's age, probably in his 60s. Jesus was a young man in his early 30s, approached Jesus, and without even asking a question, Jesus knew his thoughts and knew what was on his mind, and Jesus was basically answering this question in Nicodemus's mind, are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one to bring us the kingdom of God? And so Jesus answers him and says, well, you're never going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So we talked about last week, what does it mean to be born again? A born again believer, right? We hear that a lot, but we're not really sure what that means. But we talked about that last week. What does it mean to be a born again believer? And then we talked about, are we capable of rebirthing ourselves? And we are not. 
It is outside of anything we can do, so it has to be a supernatural thing from God, this rebirth process that's being born again, okay? So today, I'm just going to warn you, we're going to talk about fundamental stuff, ground-level stuff. We're going to essentially ask the question, why one would follow Jesus Christ? And that's a good question. And even if you claim to be a Christian, there's times when we should step back and say, why am I doing this? What, what, it was, what is my goal in this? What is the purpose in this? Why have I chosen to follow Jesus Christ? And we need to have a good, solid answer for that. But we're going to talk about the fundamentals. What we've often done in life, and Christianity has done it too, we've moved on to step two, three, four, five, six. We've started building up this foundation, or as, as a, a wonderful speaker at our Refined Conference this last week, Abby Sear from New Hampshire, talked about a tree grows up, but if the roots aren't deep, whenever the slightest breeze blows, it falls down, right? That's where Christianity is right now, if we're just going to be completely honest. We've grown big, but we haven't grown deep. We've forgotten the fundamentals. And so we're going to talk about step number one, why do we follow Jesus Christ today? Why would one consider doing that? All right, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the fundamentals. If we don't know the fundamentals, we cannot move on to the deeper stuff. We cannot move on to the next stage, all right? So I'm going to pray. <sighs> been kind of spirited this weekend so far. And, and so listen, if it's your first time here, I am a, a decent man. Um, I, I don't want to say great because I'm not, but, but I'm, 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 I'm decent, right? Like one can at least tolerate me. So I'm not a bad guy, I don't think. And, and so if I get a little heated up, guys, I just I want to let you know. It's like when you break up with your girlfriend, right? It's not you, it's me. It's... Uh, I'm the one that's feeling convicted up here, all right? So if I get a little heated, just sit back and say, man, eh, Corey's going through something right now. And that's, that's, it is, I'm going through something right now. There's a change taking place in me and I think the church as a whole. And uh, change is good, but it's not often comfortable. And that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at right now, okay? So I'm gonna pray for you. You are more than welcome to pray back to me, all right? You can pray for me. I need it, a lot of it, right? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that your ears are open today. I'm going to pray that your eyes are open today. If you're a non-believer in here, man, I love you, and I'm so glad you're here. And I hope you're here looking for the truth. And if you're here looking for the truth, uh, you may find some truth today, okay? If you're in here and you're a believer and maybe you're just ground's a little shaky right now, the fundamentals are a little loose right now, let's strengthen those. Let's go back and let's reset that cornerstone so we can build what we need to build, okay? All right? Let me pray. Father, Father, your grace is astounding, God. It's not only wide, but it's extremely deep. Lord, I love you. I thank you, God. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for my children. Thank you, God, for the people that I get to engage with in this church, this wonderful church, God. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone who can hear me speak right now, God, that you open up their ears and their eyes so we can grow closer to you, so we can know who you are, so we can know who we are. Strengthen us today, God. Lord, we also pray for every church in our city, every church, God. If they proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, we are not in competition with them. We are not against them, Lord. We are for them because, because God, we want to advance your kingdom, not the kingdom of men and women, but the kingdom of God, Lord. Help us today, God. Help us today, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get to work here. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. 
Um, if you didn't get a notes handout or if you don't have a Bible, version, Y-O-U version, if you download that for free and you click on the bottom right corner, our church will pop up. All the notes are there. Scripture is there. I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible because I like the Bible with the longest acronym. And um, Someone asked me one time, Corey, what do you think the best Bible is? The answer is the one that you will pick up and read. That's the best translation, the one that you will pick up and read. Okay? We don't need to be Bible snobs. People just need to pick the sucker up and read it sometimes. That's what it is. I don't care if it's the message or the King James Version, if you're you know, one of those people, or the ESV or whatever the case may be. If you'll pick it up and read it, pick it. I shouldn't have said that. Let's go. Let's go into the Word, right? Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that He might save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So Jesus is still in this conversation with Nicodemus, right? He's having this conversation with this extremely intelligent, respected man who's also a very humble man. That's why he came to Jesus. But Nicodemus' problem was he couldn't get past the physical. He couldn't get past from the, the physical into the spiritual. So he kept asking Jesus, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And Jesus is essentially like, it's not what you can do. It's what the Heavenly Father can do. All you can do is believe. Four times, four times in the part that I just read, in verse 16 through 18, there's some variation of the word believe. And so what we see is this. This is very important. Jesus categorizes humanity into two different camps and two different camps only. It's not white and black. It's not Republican, Democrat. It's not American or foreigner. It's not any of these things. Jesus classifies all humanity into believers and non-believers. Believers and non-believers. Those are the two camps that Jesus places us in, one or the other. And so what we hear in John 3.16, and I know it's overused and people use it a lot, and even if you're not a Christian here, you've heard John 3.16 or you've, you know, rooted for the wrestler that had it on the back of his shirt or whatever. Like, so we know this scripture, right? Most people know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him will not die, but he have eternal life. This is arguably the most important passage, not only in the Bible, these are the most important words that humanity has ever received. What this gives is it gives us a snapshot. It gives us a, a kind of an overarching view of the atonement of God. What the atonement of God is, it's essentially the reparation of sin. Easier way to put it, it's how God is fixing the brokenness of humanity. That's what this is showing. And the brokenness of humanity will get fixed from the heart of a loving God that would give his only son. Now, Nicodemus was a teacher of the Old Testament, a scholar of the Old Testament. And the first thing he would have went to, his brain would have instantly gone to the story of Abraham and Isaac, where a father is about to sacrifice his son. Now, in that instance, if you go back and read it, the son is spared and he's saved, right? So being willing to sacrifice saves the son, Isaac. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, God has given his only son, not so one can be saved, not just so one kind of person can be saved or one nation can be saved, but all people who accept and believe in the Son of God will be saved. They will have eternal life. They will not perish. Let me tell you a story. 
I had heard that, that, that scripture a gazillion times. I've only been a Christian for 14 years. I heard that, that, that scripture a gazillion times, like all of you have in this room if you're a believer. It didn't click for me the weight of John 3.16 until I did the funeral for a 17-year-old girl that used to come to this church. Um, several years ago, a young, beautiful, intelligent girl that came to this church uh, uh, was texting on her way to a football game and got in a wreck and died. I remember I was taking a shower and my wife came in and I knew, I knew what she was going to tell me. I was in the shower and she says, hey, I just got a phone call. They want you to do this young woman's funeral. And so I knew that was going to happen. And so uh, I prepared for that the best one can to do a 17-year-old girl's funeral who was a great girl, great Christian, great family. I went and I got to speak to Siegel High School to the entire senior class and share the gospel with them at request of their principal, which I thought was amazing. And then I went to the grave site and I got to do the funeral at the grave. She's buried behind me, hundreds of people and her mother sitting right in front of me. You pray for wisdom a lot in those kinds of situations. And the first thing that popped into my head was the one scripture that I just always kind of glossed over, John 3.16. And I looked right into this young girl's mom her parents sitting right in front of me and her little sister, I looked right in her mom's eyes. And I said, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we do not die, but we inherit eternal life. That this was a shell, but your daughter has gone on to something better. And for the first time, that scripture became real to me. It became real to me that she will see her daughter again if she just believes in Jesus Christ because she will also inherit eternal life. And what we see in this statement is we see the extent of God's love. When John, the guy who wrote this book of the Bible, when he chose the word agapio to show the love, sometimes you guys have heard that, agape or agapio love, it's the highest form of love. It's not that Jesus just loved humanity as a whole, it's like Jesus grabs each one of us by our cheeks, looks deep into our eyes and says, I love you. I love you more than anything I've ever created. I love you more than anything else. I love you and I'm here to die for you. And if we respond to that love, if we accept that love, we don't die, but we have eternal life, which means that forever and eternity, we will have fellowship with God. So what happens if we don't respond to that love? There are people who have said no to that kind of love. There are people who have not responded to that. Those who refuse the love of God, those who refuse the gift of salvation from God will be alienated from God. Not because God doesn't want to hang out with you, but you have chosen to divorce yourself or alienate yourself from the presence of God. And that means hope right now, hope for the future, and hope for eternity has been compromised. In fact, it's been lost. So what that means is this, guys, and we have a hard time with this. Christians have a hard time with this. There are people who are quote-unquote good people who will be alienated and separated from God for eternity. Now, that's not a very popular thing to say. See, what we are is we've become a self-righteous culture. What that means is this. We look at each other, we compare ourselves to each other, and we compare this woman to this man and this person to this person. We say, oh, they're really good because they're not as bad as this. What that's called is self-righteousness, and the Bible addresses that. Whenever we start feeling good about ourselves because we're better than person X, all we have to do is then turn, face the Lord, and compare ourselves to Him. And then it says we all look like dirty rags at that point. There's a more uh, kind of disturbing metaphor that that's actually talking about. But we don't look so hot. But in our self-righteousness, and we say, well, wait a second, it was a good person. 
Well, good by home standards. And a person that does not have to blatantly sin to be alienated from God, they must simply deny the love of Jesus. They must simply choose to be separated from God. They must choose to separate from the cross. And that is enough to be separated from God for eternity. So does God condemn us? The biggest misconception of the Christian faith is that Jesus is just going to throw all these people into hell, right? That he is here to condemn us and, and cast judgment on us. Now, look, I'll just tell you, there will come a time, it has not come yet, there will come a time where Jesus will take the position of the great judge. He will judge the quick and the dead. It says in Matthew that he will open up the books of all of our lives and he will judge us according to the works that we have done. That's a very sobering thought, right? There will come a time where Jesus will do that. But the greatest misconception of our faith is that Jesus is just condemning people to hell all the time. And the Bible clearly says he did not come to condemn. We're already running off the cliff and Jesus came to tell us, stop, you're about to go somewhere you don't want to go. Stop, I'm here to save you from condemnation. That we, I'm here to save you from self-destruction. In the absence of God, the human will self-destruct. Corey, what are you talking about? You guys remember when Hurricane Katrina happened? They put tens of thousands of people into the Superdome in New Orleans. There was no law, there was no order, there was an absence of structure. God is a God of order and mankind, our, our byproduct is self-destruction and chaos. So they put tens of thousands of people into the stadium and they left them to their own devices. And everything that happened, we shouldn't have been shocked by. Rape, murder, stealing, fights breaking out, violence, all these things going on. And so what we do when we're left in a situation without discipline, without God in our lives, we kill ourselves and we hurt other people and things become chaotic. And Jesus didn't come to propel us towards that. Jesus came to save us from ourselves, to save us from the condemnation that we are in. And we are born into this condemnation. Now, if you go way back into chapter 3 of Genesis, way back in the beginning of the Bible, whenever Jesus uses the word right here in John, you're already in this, we accepted, we inherited this sin nature when we were born because of Adam, right? We always pick on Eve. You know what the problem was? Adam wasn't man enough to lead Eve in the way he was supposed to. Therefore, we have the situation that we're in right now, men. He didn't step up and be what God told him to be the leader of his home, the leader of his family. And he didn't do that. And therefore we are in the train wreck that we are in right now. We have entered into life into a state of spiritual death. And because of that, we are out of alignment with God. But listen, here's the beauty of it. This is not where we remain. Jesus came to save us from that condemnation. So we talked about this last week. Christians fight about the dumbest things, by the way. Can you be born that way? Let's fight about it. Let's write books about it. Let's split churches. Can you be born with this particular sin? Or can you be born with this particular attitude? Or can we be, that's an irrelevant conversation. Listen, Christians, do not waste your time with irrelevant conversations. It's irrelevant to ask how we were born. What's relevant is, have we been chosen to be born again? Have we been born again? That's the important conversation. That's what Jesus wanted to get across to Nicodemus. It doesn't matter how you came into the world. It matters how you leave this world. It matters about the second birth, that we're saved from that condemnation. So I was sitting in my office the other day with an extremely intelligent young woman. She's going to be in, in our small group that we're starting next month. 
And um, we're sitting there talking, and what I like so much about this young lady is she's just extremely honest. And I, listen, I, I like that. Even if I don't agree with you, I just love honesty. And so she sits on my, on, on my couch, and she's just telling me stuff. And one of the things we talked about briefly, good conversation. She said, I've got all these friends who aren't Christians, and they're very hedonistic. If you don't know what that word means, it's just this, this kind of relentless pursuit towards pleasure and self-preservation, right? So they're hedonistic, right? They have sex with whoever they want to have sex with. They do as many drugs as they want. They have no discipline. They have no one telling them what they can and can't do. They just run towards pleasure and they run towards self. And she says, they look back at me and they say that I'm in a box. They're free and I'm chained up or I'm locked in this box. And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, that's interesting. I used to live a life of hedonism. Um, I used to do all the drugs I could get. I, I, I... lost my virginity at a young age and pursued those things. I drank a lot. I partied a lot. I had no rules. I was extremely rebellious. I did all those things. And I said, it's interesting talking to this young lady. I said, what that led me to is it led me to three suicide attempts. And it was on the third suicide attempt that I finally found Jesus and his grace and mercy the third time. And so I said, it's funny. Hedonism to me was the shackles. Hedonism to me was the great slave master, and now I have found true freedom in Christ. Listen, this, is, this is, might be the most important thing I say all day. True freedom is the knowledge that I can do anything I want, but it's having the wisdom that I only do the things that benefit my present and my future. Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. To have the wisdom to know when to say no is truly being free. That's why addicts are addicts. They're chained to their drug. They're chained to their porn. They're chained to their sex. They're chained to those things. Those things dictate everything about their life. That is being a slave. That is the box. And Jesus says, you are no one's slave except the one of God. And so you become in his will and you truly understand what freedom is. So this then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes into the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So at the end of this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and Nicodemus, he basically says, okay, here's the crux of the matter, Nick. This is the judgment. Basically what Jesus is saying is where we end up in eternity is our responsibility. Not being saved is our responsibility, but to either believe in Christ or to deny Christ is on us. We have that choice. So if we one day approach Jesus Christ as he sits on the great throne of judgment and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Listen, guys, I'm not trying to be a jerk. You're not gonna be able to blame me. You're not gonna be able to blame the government. You're not going to be able to blame your circumstances or your parents. At the end of the day, our judgment is self-inflicted. We are the ones who have either accepted or denied the ways of Jesus Christ. And so we often ask ourselves, how can a loving God cast people into hell? But that is our choice. That is our choice. He is here to offer us the escape plan. He is here to open up the door. He is here to save us from our condemnation. But the world refuses to step into the light because we love being in the darkness. Because when I'm in the darkness, you don't have to see the real me. 
When I'm in the darkness, you don't know my insecurities. You don't know my faults. You don't know my failures. You don't know the dark side of me. We're so afraid to step into the light because when we step into the light, we are exposed. But here, here's what the pursuit of truth is. Here's what the Christian faith is. Here's what a relationship with Christ is. The pursuit of truth is willingly stepping into the light and becoming vulnerable. Now see, the darkness of the world, the sin of the world is all grounded in self, selfishness. Everything we do that's in rebellion to God, everything that we do that is sinful is because we are looking out for ourselves first. Let me detract here from a little bit. If you ever, I don't recommend this, but if you ever buy a copy of the Satanic Bible, the black book written by Anton LaVey, he's dead now. He started in San Francisco. The headquarters has now moved to Salem, Massachusetts. He's the one that started the Satanic Church in the 60s, right? Okay. Anton LaVey wrote the Black Bible. And the first thing that the Black Bible says when you open it up is not written by Anton LaVey. It's written by a man named Aleister Crowley, who is basically the grandfather of the occult movement of the 20th century, right? Very evil man, called the most evil man that's ever walked the face of the planet. That's his kind of title. And the first quote that you read in the Satanic Bible says this. It says, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. What that means is do what you want to do. The basis, listen to me, the basis of satanic thought is not worshiping Satan. The basis is basic of satanic thought. The basis of satanic thought is you worship you. Look at our culture. Look at our society. The word of the year several years ago was selfie. We have become a society, a Christian society, which is garbage, a Christian society that has adopted the philosophy of the satanic Bible. At the end of the day, whatever makes you happy. At the end of the day, it's all about you. That is stepping into the darkness. And what we do is we pursue things that temporarily benefit us, not even considering the ramifications of our decisions, the ramifications of the family, of our spouses, of society as a whole. So to truly find contentment, to pursue the truth, we must look beyond ourself. And when we look beyond ourselves and step into the light, it exposes us. It exposes us. It makes us vulnerable. Now, though it's difficult to step into the light, though it is painful, we must let God reveal to us the darkness that we harbor. God is the great physician. The Bible says this, right? He's the great physician. And so you don't get mad at your physician when he exposes that you have cancer. You don't get mad at the doctor. You don't say, how dare you expose this cancer that's killing me? You're awful. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That's not what we say. We go back to the doctor and we say, what can we do to remove this thing that is killing me? Jesus is much the same way. He puts the light on our heart, the light on our soul, the heart, the, the light on our actions. And he says, these choices are killing you. And we get angry at God. And we say, how dare you tell us how to live our life? And he's saying, you're running off a cliff and I'm here to remove this cancer. I'm here to remove these bad choices so you can live. And we hate him for it. What God wants to do is he wants to shed the light on the deepest part of our core so from the inside out, we can change. We've become a society that has become masters of wearing masks. 
You get on my Facebook, right? I've like maxed out friends. I just, all these friends I have on Facebook, right? And you look at them and sometimes I look at them and I'm just like, man, is everyone's life just so much better than mine, right? Everyone's on vacation. Everyone has great complexion. Everyone looks thinner than me, right? And I'm looking at it. And then they come into my office and they tell me their marriage is on the rocks. But then they come in and tell me that they're drowning in depression. And I'm not knocking them for that. But what we've done is we've created this pseudo bullcrap universe that we live in. We've become masters of thinking that we're something that we're not. We've put on the mask so long that we don't even know what our real face looks like anymore. And God invites us to break that and say, come as you are, come as raw and as dirty and as disgusting as you can, because it's only when we acknowledge that we're broken that God can put the pieces back together and not make us Facebook beautiful, but make us eternally beautiful. Make us something miraculous and gorgeous, sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And that inward change will start to manifest itself on the outside in the way we talk, in the way we live, in the way we interact, in the way we talk to our spouse, in the way we raise our children. If we'll let the, sh- let the light shine deep inside of us. I need to move on. Oh, you don't have to clap for that. Thank you. After this, switch gears for a second because I'm getting short of breath. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in (laughs) near Salem. I can't pronounce that word because there's plenty of water there. People were coming and they were being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. little foreshadowing there. Then a dispute arose between John's followers and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and they told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and the one who is with you in the Jordan River is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. John the Baptist responded. He said, no one can receive a single thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah but I've been sent ahead of him. Look at this analogy he uses. John says, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. So sometime after Nicodemus and Jesus talked, this is so fascinating to me, John's disciples and Jesus' disciples started kind of competing with each other. It's not supposed to say toe, it's supposed to say two. These two leaders got along great. In fact, they were, I mean, they were like besties, right? They would have been selfieing themselves with the Jordan River and stuff. They were best friends, Jesus and John. And so these two leaders got along great. But what we see here is that the followers of these two leaders did not get along very well. Um, Jesus actually wasn't the one baptizing. Jesus didn't baptize people. His disciples baptized people. So get this, listen. John's followers were upset at Jesus' followers because Jesus' followers were doing what they did first. They were the first people to do it, and they were mad that there was this other group that was growing by doing what they had done in the past. So what we see here is from the beginning of the Christian faith, there has always been competition and bickering amongst believers. The fact that churches can't get along because people are super prideful is not a new phenomenon. We see these two camps 
of good followers of God, good believers. These two camps were fighting over certain rituals, purification rituals. Basically, how to baptize is what they were arguing about. And this is something that has been plaguing the church for for literally 2,000 years now. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Sound doctrine is important. Orthodox Christianity is vital. But too much focus on the minor things will convolute the major message. Man, someone's got to be with me on that. Too much focus on the minor things, we start to lose the whole purpose of why Jesus came in the first place. So we need to remember who we follow, right? We do this today. Disciples of modern day leaders are much the same way. We're often extremely zealous about our pastor or the book that we're reading or the religious leader that we're into. We're so zealous about their perspective more so than even the perspective of the Bible. So we have people say, I'm an Arminianist. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Wesleyan. I'm a Francis Chanian. I'm a Bill Johnsonan. I'm all these different people. And we defend the teachings more of the modern speaker than we do the Word of God. That's what we do. What this has become for many Christians is this is the supplement to the book that they really want to read by a modern day leader. I'll read this book and I'll check every once in a while to make sure that this confirms that and we've got it completely backwards. Listen, Paul said if an angel comes down from heaven and tells you a different gospel than what I've told you, don't believe them. If anyone tells you anything, even if an angel shows up tonight at your house, knocks on the door and says, hey, I wanted to tell you something contradictory to what you've already read in the Bible, you are not to believe them. That's what Paul says. There was a 14-year-old young man one time that strayed out into the woods, and an angel of light gave him two gold tablets that contradicted the last statements of the book of Revelation. He wrote those down. That became the Book of Mormon. And now 14.8 million people believe a lie. The Bible says this. What I am saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul. I'm with Craig Groeschel. I'm with Corey Trimble. I'm with Alan Jackson. I'm with Brady Cooper. I'm with Cephas. I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Were you baptized in Corey's name? Were you baptized in Bill Johnson's name? Was Francis Chan crucified on the cross for you? No, no. We follow those men and women like we follow, like they follow Christ, but we confirm everything they teach by the word of God. We confirm everything that we hear by the word of God. This is our anchor. This is our anchor. This is the truth. We don't follow men and women. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we are to have leaders in our life, but ultimately our truth, our direction, our foundation is built on Jesus. And everything that we, re- we have, we receive from heaven. This is, what, this is what John the Baptist, what made him so great is he was so unbelievably humble. And he makes it clear to his followers. They come up and they're just like, hey, do you know that church is growing faster than us? And John says, hey, I'm not the solution. I'm not the Messiah. I told you, I'm just the one paving the way for the one who is to come. And no one receives anything unless heaven gives us. So John the Baptist reminds us that apart from God, we have nothing. So everything we do must ultimately glorify the Father in heaven. And if Jesus gives us the great thesis of of what he came to do, John 3, 16, the great thesis of the atonement, that's what he gives us. John the Baptist gives us the great thesis of what it means to live the Christian life. It's so simple. John says, Jesus must get bigger and we must get smaller. 
Now, Jesus is as big as Jesus is ever going to be. What he means is this. In our personal lives, our focus must be more, 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 more Jesus and less, 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 less Corey. That's what he says. This should be the guiding principle for everyone who says they follow Jesus Christ. Because without this mindset of more of him, less of me, we will not see the kingdom of God. We will not see the kingdom of God. This is the thesis of Christian living and the antithesis of the world. The statement of they keep telling you self, 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 self. And Jesus says, less of you. John says, less of you, less of you, more of him, more of him. Last part. Before I get into this last part, so I've been doing really good with my, I say really good, I've been doing better with my diet. And because it's our anniversary, I think, uh, I think we're going to go to the melting pot tonight. And like, so the stuff before the dessert is like good, right? But really we're just going to go because I'm going to eat that whole bowl of melted chocolate. And it's going to be amazing. That has nothing to do with this. I just wanted to let you guys know. Um, I, might have to, <laughs> I, I might have to repent for gluttony in the morning. So uh, we're going to eat much chocolate tonight. All right. All right. Last part. The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For God sent him and he speaks God's words since he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and all things have been given into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. Listen, verse 36 is so important. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So at the end of this chapter, uh, the phrase, the one who comes from above, is above all things. One of the great theologians uh, of the last couple of uh, centuries is a guy named A.W. Tozer. And he said something brilliant. He said, there's a spiritual kingdom that lies around us, enclosing us, embracing us. It's within reach, waiting for us to recognize it. God is huge. He's above all. He's sovereign. He's got everything under control. And he is just waiting for us to recognize that fact. So if you go back in your Bible, you don't have to do this. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, okay? Now, if you go in between the book of Malachi in the book of Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, there was a 430-year span, right? 400 years plus about 30 years when John finally spoke to the people. In that 430 years, God was silent as far as he didn't send a prophet to speak to the people of God on a big scale. For 430 years, God was quiet when it came to speaking to the people of God on a big scale. That silence was ended by the last great prophet, John the Baptist. Now, I can get into whole prophecy has changed from then to now, but the great prophet, uh, John the Baptist, comes and he delivers the final word of prophecy to the nation of Israel. And that word is essentially this. Everything we've been talking about is about to happen. The Savior has come. The Messiah has come. The Son of God has been sent to atone for the sins of mankind. And what is just absolutely mind-boggling is a lot of people did not receive that. They did not listen to that. But the people that did could testify 
that people who listened to the truth could testify how the truth changed their life. Now, it's much the same today. Jesus said you have to judge a tree by its fruit. If someone gives you advice about marriage and they've been divorced 12 times, maybe consider the source, right? If someone comes to you and they give you food advice and they're, you know, like super skinny, like take that into account, right? You don't eat like a skinny chef's food, right? It's a given, right? At least for me. Anyways, so we take into the account the fruit of the tree that is offering us advice. Now, what's interesting is this. My wife and I have a lot of friends that aren't believers. I have many friends who are atheists and agnostics. In my life, and you might have, I've never had someone sit down next to me in Starbucks and say, can I tell you how agnosticism has changed my life for the better? <laughs> Brother, can I tell you how atheism has just made me so content? Can I tell you about that? It has changed my life. I once believed in, in Jesus Christ and in the, in, in the Bible and the principles of the Bible, but I have come to, to be agnostic and it has just changed everything. It's wonderful. I've never met that person. Not to say they're not out there. I'm sure there are some that are out there. And those that are out there, I would say that their situation is very temporal, that those things are going to change. But I can tell you, I have met thousands of people. We show a video every single week. It's online on our Facebook and on our website of different people in our church. Every single week, we just did uh, the Geigers, a young couple that comes here. And they tell the testimony, all these different people, about how God has transformed their life. Because the key that turns on the engine of life is Jesus Christ. And what we see in verse 34 is we see the full spectrum of God in verse 34. We see that God the Father sent God the Son to usher in God the Spirit to all mankind and that Jesus carries the direct words of God to humanity so we can have this relationship with our Creator and our life can be changed. So we often in our culture ambiguously talk of God, right? God can be anything, right? God can be football, God can be uh, uh, sex, God can be all these different things. We can make anything a God, lowercase g, but the true God is only found out, only discovered, only approached. The only approach we can have to the true God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And any attempt to know the ultimate truth, to know the God, any attempt to know God other than Jesus Christ is completely futile completely futile. He is the pathway. He is the road. He is the key. He is everything to eternal life is Jesus. And to receive him is to receive life. Bible says that Jesus is the author of life. He holds all authority. He holds all sovereignty. He gives truth to those that receive him. We talked about the light. Jesus is the one that illuminates sin in our life, illuminates hatred, illuminates pain in order to fix it. Jesus doesn't shine the light on us so we can feel condemned and awful and ashamed. He shines the light on us so he can get to work on us, so he can illuminate the insecurities in us. Any of you who've ever struggled with addiction, the first step is acknowledging that you're an addict. Those of you who found life, the first thing to acknowledge is that now I'm dead, that there's no life in me apart from him. So if we accept him, we get the light. But listen to this. But to deny him is to accept the, alter the, the, the alternative. To neglect grace is to accept wrath. To say no to life is to accept death because there's only two choices. So to deny his grace, that means we will eventually receive the wrath of God. Now, how can a loving God do such a thing? Now listen, if you're in here and you're not a believer, I will tell you, God is gracious, he is gentle, he is loving. He is kind. He is also just. One day, 
Jesus will take the position, he will take the, the role of the supreme judge. That's what he will do. And the wrath of God is the divine judgment against the evil that has separated the creator from the creation. He will judge those who have put a chasm between God and his people. Fortunately for us, though, the blood of Christ allows us to escape that wrath, Romans 5, 9, at any time. Just like we talked about with condemnation. We were born into it, but we don't have to stay in it. He has given us the avenue. He has given us the door. He has given us the key to escape condemnation and step into the light. So let's be realistic. We're an honest church. I think we're honest. Try to be honest. Honesty is not something that is, that is often exercised in the Christian movement right now. We put on the faces. We all come to church and how are you doing? Great, great. Everything is great. Everything's fantastic. Haven't you seen my Instagram? Everything is great. The food is great. Everyone's beautiful. Great. Everything is great. Ah, oh, no struggles. No, I just love God. You saw the picture of my Bible, right? I love God. We walk in it. I went to the concert. I saw the guy. I did, we did, everything's great. Let's be honest, guys. Can we just like, can we pull that bull crap down for a second? The world looks good sometimes, doesn't it? If we're just going to be honest, the hedonism looks good. Man, there are times, not just me, my wife and I both. Man, sometimes it seemed easier when we were living like that. Man, sometimes now, I'll listen to bands on the radio or I went and saw a concert, I don't know, six or seven months ago, a band that I knew back in the day and I see all these people and I'm just like, man, I could go back to that. That looks good. Man, it'd be nice not to have to worry about how I act in public, right? It'd be nice to have to just drink as much as I want and smoke as much as I want and do what I want. Sometimes it looks enticing to live a life without discipline. Sometimes self-preservation and being a little selfish looks good, especially the the way the world sells it, right? You can't go anywhere and do anything. Even in the church, we sell sell selfishness. Hey, just sit back. We don't want to inconvenience you. We don't want to bother you. We don't want to upset you in church. We don't want to push you too hard, right? Are those, che- are those chairs comfortable? Is the air okay? Is everything all right for you? We just want to make sure you're happy. Self, self, self. Watching the Olympics with my family, right? We don't watch TV. You, can I be a jerk for a second? Because it's garbage. We don't watch it, right? We watch Netflix. There's garbage on Netflix too. But at least I can control it, right? At least I can choose what I watch and don't watch. So we're watching the Olympics. We have, you know, like the big antenna that we pull out twice a year, like you know, for election time, I pull it out and then I want to punch holes in the wall. And then we pull it out during the Olympics and that's great. And I'm really engaged in that. And I don't sleep for, you know, a month, but, um, we're watching the Olympics and me, my wife and my seven-year-old daughter and my four-year-old daughter, we're watching the Olympics. Commercial comes on and it's for Hardee's for the threesome burger. Three beautiful blonde women in very little clothes promoting a burger for Hardee's, the threesome burger. And of course, as a parent, you know, Alicia's like, oh, hey, kids, what's on the ceiling, you know? And like, I'm trying to change the channel real fast or turn off the TV or something, right? We're scrambling. And I'm sitting here watching this for a second. I'm like, my God, my God, mainstream television, restaurant, commercial, this is, it's everywhere. And of course, if we're just honest, you look at those things, you're just like, man, sometimes the world looks good. Sometimes that escape looks enticing. And like water, mankind wants to naturally go down the path of least resistance. 
My goodness, I want, to be, I want things to be as easy as possible. If I download these apps or get that new phone or get this new thing at my home or buy this new car or whatever the case may be, makes my life easier, right? And so naturally, I want the least resistance possible. You know what's interesting about that, though, is Jesus says the exact opposite. In this life, there will be suffering. Jesus says that. And if you choose me, some people will hate you for it. Jesus tells us the exact opposite of what we want to do of what our nature tells us to do, our human nature tells us to do. So Jesus says you're going to have to be disciplined, and Jesus says you're not going to go down the path of least resistance. There's going to be friction. So why in the heck would I choose Christ? Why in the heck would I become a Christian? Well, the first thing is this. There are two choices, only two. There's not a third option. There's not this place that I can hang out somewhere in the middle. Listen, Jesus, when he came, said, I came to bring a sword. That doesn't mean war. That doesn't mean anything like that. He wasn't like a you know, samurai or a ninja or anything. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword, which means I draw the dividing line between righteousness and unrighteousness. And Jesus said, you were either for me or two choices. That's it. We have two options, our way or his way. Being in the light or being in the dark. Do you know those two? If you study physics, light and darkness cannot occupy the same space. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. Those two things cannot be in the same place. Wherever there is light, there is no darkness. So you have to have one or the other. Light or dark, life or death, temporary or eternal, wrath or grace. These are my choices. So hmm, I have to think about that a little bit. And if I'm still conflicted about those choices... I have to then step back and I have to logically look what is the byproduct, what is the fruit that the world is offering me? What is the fruit? So when one looks at pornography, the tree from a distance looks good, right? This is how women act, right? All men look like this, right? This is what sex, this is what it all looks like and from a distance. But then when you get up close, you find out the suicide rates in that world. You find out the insecurity. You find out the drug addictions. You find about the abuse. You look at the implications of that $12 billion a year industry on our young girls. You look at the effects of the marriages from pornography. You look at the effects of the nuclear family. So the fruit doesn't look so good when you get up close to the tree, does it? We look at the hope of our economy, look at the hope of our political systems. The longest running political system that has ever been around was the Roman Empire, 400 years. How old is America right now? Nothing on earth is infinite, nothing, nothing is infinite. So when we look to these people, when we say our hope is in the government, how has that worked? Not just in America, how has it worked since the birth of government, man-made institutions? man-made ideologies. What is the fruit? Tell me. Are we happier people now? Are our young girls more secure? Are our young men more righteous? Is the family better? Is marriage better? Is contentment on the rise? Is security on the rise? How do we get as long as foreign nations with each other? Is there harmony on planet earth? Can we travel across borders and not worry about our physical selves and what's going to happen to us? Look at it. What have we gotten from our ideas, from our ideologies? What have we gotten? 
But we feel safe in the darkness because if we hang out in the darkness, you're never going to know the real me. You're never going to know the real me. So I feel safe in the darkness. I've learned, listen, we've learned to love the darkness because you're not going to see my faults. You're not going to see my insecurities. You're not going to see my struggles. You're not going to see that I'm not perfect. So I hang out in the shadows and I've learned to love the shadows. The last thing about why one would possibly consider Jesus, besides just these practical things, there's a thing about mankind. It's the reason why we travel to space. It's the reason why we're trying to go to the depths of the ocean. It's the reason why we study archaeology. It's the reason why we still study history, what's still intact. It's the reason why we're exploring. We're trying to find out why we're here. We're trying to find out our origin, our purpose, the potential of mankind. You know, that's why we watch the Olympics, is to see what mankind can do to see the pushing that we can do and to see the limits we can go to. That's why we want to go to Mars. That's why we have the Hubble telescope. That's why people make documentaries about the depths of the ocean. That's why we do these things, because there's something inside of us that is just trying to figure out why in the heck are we here? And the reason why we keep going down the road we keep going down, the reason why things keep crumbling and falling apart is because when you trace every problem, every disconnect, every friction, all the brokenness, when you trace it back to where the fracture started, there is a separation between the creator and the creation. here's where I'm not going to blow you away at all. The fundamental cornerstone, this is what the Word says, the fundamental cornerstone, the one that people trip over because they miss it, is Jesus. Jesus. Do you want to know why your marriage is in disarray? It's an absence of Jesus in your marriage. And it may not all be your fault, but it's because Jesus isn't there. He's not the glue that holds you two together. Do you want to know the problem with politics? Jesus isn't in it. Now, I'm not talking about a theocracy, but I'm talking we don't have God-fearing men and women that run our country or the world. We don't have them. Make any point you want for me to vote for Donald Trump. Jesus is not in this election. I don't care what you tell me. You can get mad, you can leave this church. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of us settling for a morality does not, that does not meet the standards of Jesus Christ. You don't, have, no, you don't have to clap for that either. But I'm tired of that. We have set the bar so low that we're now tripping over it. Not just in politics, but in your family, in your home, what you listen to, what you watch, what you teach your children or don't teach your children. God is absent. There's a disconnect between the creator and the creation. It is happening in the church. And so what we've done is we've grown the church big. Abby Sear, one of our speakers at Refine this year. We've grown the tree big, but the problem is if you dig into the soil, there's no roots. So the first storm that comes, the tree is gone. Thus is humanity. Thus is Christianity right now. We've not dug in. 
and we've forgotten it is so, so simple that at the core of every single problem is the absence of Jesus. It's the absence of Christ. It's the absence of what he had to tell us and where he wanted to lead us and the love he wanted to show us and the light that he wanted to illuminate on our situation so we could be humble and identify our problems and let him fix them. There's nothing new under the sun and there's no new solution. There's no new speaker or new book or new way to do it. The answer has and has always been Jesus. 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 And before we move to step two, we better darn well know what step one is. Before the church grows anymore, before we do anything else, we better know what the cornerstone is. It is Christ. I want to tell you, you don't need me. You don't need the experience. You need this. This is what you need. One sermon is not going to change your life. Me praying for you is not going to change your life. We have got to start taking the Word of God, and we've got to start taking Jesus seriously. One time his disciples asked him, Jesus, when are you going to come back for us? What signs should we look for? And Jesus says it's going to be like the days of Noah. I hope some of you hear this. Noah's ark was not built in a day. You guys know that? You know, it took him a hundred years to build that boat. For a hundred years, people would go by Noah's front yard and they would see that boat. They would see him building it. And everyone he came in contact with, Noah would say, one day... God's going to purify the earth with water. One day, listen, listen, listen. One day you're going to die. One day your children are going to die. They're going to drown. If you don't get in the boat. One day your whole family's going to suffer. If you don't get in the boat. And Jesus says, when I come back, it's going to be much like the days of Noah. Those who believe in God are going to see it coming. We're, going to, we're not going to know the exact day, but we're going to know that the season is coming. We're not going to be shocked. But it said, just like in the days of knowing, they were, Noah, they were eating, drinking, working, doing their daily life, saying that God thing's okay, but I'm really busy right now. It's football season. It's soccer season. We got vacations to go on and we have things we need to do. And if I get around to it, I'll get around to it. And one day, Christ is going to split the eastern sky. And just like the first raindrop that landed on the gardener who says, Oh my God, Noah was right. And it's too late because heaven has already been opened up and the rain is coming. You can call me 
a maniac. You can call me egotistical. You can call me a jerk. I don't care. I'm not here to be your friend, and I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to tell you that if we don't get on the boat, we're going to drown, and our families are going to drown, and our nation's going to drown, and people are going to perish. You've got to start taking this thing seriously. You've got to start taking it seriously, not just for you, but for your marriage, for your kids, for your neighborhood. Because when the eastern sky gets split, it's going to be too late. Father, I love you. Father, you didn't come to bring condemnation. And so, Lord, I don't ever want to bring condemnation either. I don't want to be, con- I don't want to be condemning. I don't want to be condescending. I don't, I don't want to be rude, God. Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that we start taking this seriously, Lord. I pray that we will humble ourselves. I pray that we will not wait for the time to be with you, but make the time. I pray that we will open up the word. I pray that we will love our neighbors. I pray that we'll give our time. I pray, Lord, that we'll sacrifice for your kingdom, God. Lord Jesus, there's no purpose in our tree being big if there's no roots. There's no purpose in our building being tall if there's no foundation. And we've built tall buildings. We've grown big trees. And at any moment they can be knocked over, God. Forgive us. you're in this room and you are not a believer, I'm so happy you're here. I hope I haven't pushed you away or scared you off. I never want to convince you that Jesus is good by, by scaring you. That's not what I want to do. If you're in here and you're not a believer, though, and you're looking for truth, if you'll just be vulnerable enough to ask, God, are you up there? I'm just crazy enough to believe that he'll show up somehow in your life. If you're in here and you know who Jesus is, but you've become busy, you've become distracted, you've become apathetic, you're the one who looks over at Noah and says, ah, you know, whatever, one day, I want to pray that God lights you up again. I want to pray that God puts a fire in your heart again. I want to pray that there's a desire in us to know our Maker that there's a desire in us to want to know the architect, that there's a desire in us to want to know our purpose and our potential and our calling. I want to pray that we don't take this for granted. 
that we don't forget, that we don't become lazy. There's communion all around us. Everyone who is a believer is welcome to take that. You just have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Represents the body and blood, guys, the body and the blood of the, of the, of the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. When we take that, it represents that He died for us and lives for us and poured out His Holy Spirit on us. There's people up here to my right and left. If you need prayer for anything, 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 Humble yourself and go get prayer. If you need to, confess your faults. Confess your sin. I've been struggling with this. Pray for me. They're not going to condemn you. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to look down on you. They're going to pray that the light shines on you and that the light takes away the darkness, heals the brokenness. He is the way. He's the truth. He is the life that there's no other way to the Father except through Him. I love you, Jesus. Keep your hand on us, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being patient with me. You're welcome to help yourself.